to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have, man, I kind of teased this show yesterday, and I'm really, really excited to get into this with my guest. But before we introduce him, I just want to talk a little bit about something, kind of where this all started. And it really all started as kind of a joke. One of the very first things I saw was an AI written obituary. And I'm going to read that for you, and you can understand why we're all laughing. And then we're going to talk about why none of us are laughing now. So this obituary was for uh, the departed Brenda Tent. It says, Brenda Tent retired at the living age of old, surrounded by family and natural causes. A librarian from birth, Brenda was an avid collector of dust. She had a sweetheart and married her high school. She loved having hobbies and helping her sons to become disadvantaged youths. She had no horses, but she thought she did. And the church gave her a choir because she sang like a bird and looked like a bird. And Brenda was a bird. She owed us so many poems. The funeral will be held in 1977 at Heaven in lieu of flowers. Send Brenda more life. That's how it started. And uh, we're far, far, far away from the clutches of that. Here to talk about this whole AI situation, the strike in Hollywood, all kinds of stuff that we're going to get into. Uh, Stephen Jarkow. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation today. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure. You know, um, there's always been, I think going back to the days of the show, The Twilight Zone, that threat that computers would one day take us over and and run our society. And then I think of HAL 2000 and, uh, you know, Terminator and, and all these things where it's kind of been put into our heads that computers are going to one day take us over. Then a couple of years ago, I attended the NAMM show in Anaheim, which is the National Association of Music Merchandisers, and they had a robot there, you know, one of these new realistic life robots. I wasn't even near it, and that thing gave me the creeps. And I thought, I I don't know if I like where we're headed. Are we, should we be nervous, or are we just programmed to be nervous? Oh, we should be nervous. Um, you know, AI and technology over the next 10 years is going to uh, create great wealth and great opportunities. It's going to uh, eliminate a lot of jobs. Uh, currently, about 50% of our country's population works uh, either uh, for someone or some company or in the gig economy. Uh, that'll probably be reduced to closer to 30% over the next 10 years. In addition, those who continue to work are going to have very different jobs and are going to have very different skill sets. And we're all going to have to adapt because this is going to be pervasive in pretty much everything we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are there, there going to be a lot of changes and things are moving very quickly, unlike the original Roaring Twenties, which... Things took decades to matriculate. Uh, this is going to go very, very fast, uh, a little too fast for our human brains, I think, in some cases. Um, it's going to be a very interesting time, but also a very challenging time. And, um, you know, there is a more than zero chance that this is the end of mankind, that humans will be replaced. Um, We haven't seen any evidence of sentience or even common sense in AI or much of AI. Where AI currently shines is uh, 
know, it's already part of our cell phones and our uh, automobiles and, uh, you know, flexible manufacturing systems and things like that. It's a part of our life currently, but it's directed by us. And uh, it's something that augments rather than replaces for the most part. It's going to start replacing pretty soon. Um, you've got the biggest and most valuable companies in the world who are focused on AI. And there's you know, basically a competition and a, a, a war going on for domination or at least a place at the table uh, in this field. And uh, these companies and their technologists are very sophisticated. And um, some of them, in fact, have raised concerns about this and have said, you know, look, we need regulation, we need guardrails, but uh, we don't know to what extent that's just window dressing uh, and uh, you know, something that they feel they need to say to preserve their uh, positions. But um, they are pointing out how dangerous this thing could become at some point. Not there yet, but uh, things are happening pretty darn fast. Well, I think the writing's on the wall and, and just a little bit that I've seen on, on the other side uh, with some of these companies that are developing and verifying like their chat bots and how their chat bots learn, what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. Um, the idea of having a conversation with a realistic seeming person or being on the other end of that uh, is is kind of scary. And I'm thinking about how, you know, in society these days, it seems like we don't want to deal with anything, you know, anything that we can do to mitigate pain or loss or, or make anything not real is the way we go. And I think about somebody's grandmother dying and they program a chat bot to basically learn from their grandmother's letters or texts or recorded conversations. And they train that person to replace their grandmother and they never learn with dealing with that grief. Um, they never process it. I see there's being some real dangers here in just the way that people would naturally use it. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, this is uh, a troubling phenomena um, and it really, kind of emanates from the uh, a theology in Silicon Valley that ultimately uh, we're going to become digital creatures and that rather than dying, our essence, not our soul, but our essence uh, technologically will be preserved digitally so that, you know, we can all kind of morph into uh, the digital heaven or the digital universe this has been around for a long time, and you know today it's being talked about a bit. And you know some technologists feel very strongly that this is the natural order of things. But this this is a very alien concept, and um, you know we're humans, and part of what we need to do during all this transition and all of these challenges is frankly be more human. Right. And, and embrace one another and be in touch with one another. That's one of the ways it may seem soft, but it's one of the ways we'll resist uh, an alien intelligence, you know, taking over, you know, our, our civilization. 
You know, before I moved up here to Vegas, I used to come up here uh, quite often, and uh, I used to come up here for Christmas. And I remember getting into town and going to a restaurant uh, for breakfast and seeing this couple sitting at a table. They were sitting next to each other, which I thought was kind of interesting, not across as as most people do. Uh, But neither one of them, the entire time I was there, spoke a word that I heard to the other one. It was both of them face down into their cell phones. They would stop to take a bite to eat. And then I noticed one would look at the other and the other was looking at the cell phone. They'd go back to their cell phone. Then the other one would look over and no, they're they're not talking to me. And I thought, this is kind of where we're headed. We're really separating ourselves from people because we can get what we want out of technology as opposed to dealing with issues and building real relationships where there's conflict. We can use technology to facilitate human relationships, but uh, you know, conversations like the one we're having is enabled in part by technology. But we need not to lose the fact that this is a conversation between two humans, and it's a chance to establish a relationship, a friendship, and we need to look for opportunities in our lives to establish those sorts of human relationships. And that means uh, reaching out to your friends and engaging with them. Um, you know, people get busy. They, uh, they don't think about their old friend, Steve, or, uh, you know, other old friends. So it's up to us to reach out because I have found that my friends are genuinely happy to spend time with me, to talk, to catch up. But I need to make the effort. And so all of us need to kind of do that, to do that. And we need to create more humanness and and humanity. And that comes about, I think, also by being conscious of of being of service to others. And sometimes that just entails reaching out and listening. Sometimes it entails having a difficult conversation with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of time it entails helping someone when they are in need. You know, as one gets older, more and more of your acquaintances and friends and family members become ill or have problems, mm-hmm. uh, psychological or uh, physical. And there are always opportunities to reach out. And, you know, we live in a world that has been corroded in large part by social media. Yes. Uh, You know, social media is a crude form of artificial intelligence. And, um, you know, it has changed the national narrative and I think caused people to be more anxious, uh, more adversarial, more combative. And for our young people, it's become largely addictive. All you have to do is watch somebody on TikTok. And you realize, you know, they're, in most cases, they're not doing anything productive. Right. They're not really learning anything. They're just mm-hmm. seeing amusing stories and ideas. Now, there is a, a slightly different version of TikTok in China that's available at, you know, for Chinese residents and citizens that isn't quite as strident and isn't quite as nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be a good direction for us uh, to go as well, you know, right now, people seem to be very angry all the time and they, they, and they want to fight about everything. Mm-hmm. And 
what's the point? Most of these things are not worth getting all excited about. And besides, it doesn't do any good. Right. Uh, one of the things I like to do is if I'm at an event or at a party or something, I like to uh, engage with someone who whose opinions are completely different than mine, who I may disagree with, not to try to convince them of anything, but rather just to listen to what they have to say and give them a sounding board. And if they ask for you know, a point of view, I can certainly give it, but I'm not going to convince most people of anything. But I think it's important that we really be human to one another and listen to one another. You're so right. I've said so many times that the way people have conversations now is the uh, one person will speak, speaking their opinion, and the listener will listen until they hear something they don't like. And then they stop listening because they're starting to form a rebuttal, not hearing anything else the speaker is saying, but the speaker is thinking they're being heard. So we're not really having open-minded conversations anymore. We can't make progress if we aren't really trying to understand each other. I don't want to convince you I'm right. I want to understand if I'm missing something, maybe you know something that I don't and I need to change my opinion. But it's not about that. It's about, no, you need to understand that I'm right or you're an idiot. Well, everybody has something to teach us. Uh, you know, anyone you meet, no matter how odd they might be or how distressed they might be, uh, it's instructive and you can learn something from it, but you have to listen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing that I was thinking of, I wanted to get your opinion on, uh, you know, when when we went from having no electronics to say, starting with the calculator and people could go to the grocery store and they could add, you know, all their purchases on the calculator instead of doing it in their head. I think we began to start losing that ability to think in the way that we could to use our brains. And I wonder now how many kids that are going to school and are brought up in the the cell phone and the, you know, the, the laptop era even have that ability. I'm thinking if they're using AI to do things like, hey, read this article and tell me what the most important points are, and they're not even reading the article anymore, they're just letting someone else decide for them what's important, I'm worried that that's going to dumb us down even more. Well, I think it's already had that effect on us, and it's particularly acute for young people. I mean, they're very smart, they're very tech savvy, they're very familiar with social media, able to use it much better than I would be able to use it. However, they, as you correctly point out, they've lost the ability to really see what is happening and what is going on. There's a difference between having your, your own innate conclusions about an observation and actually learning from that observation and expanding you know, what you may think of it. And that may seem like a nuanced difference, but it really affects how we solve problems, mm -hmm. you know, how we deal with other humans and, um, you know, our ability to process technology and work with it rather than have it work against us. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that's the fear is because we've become such a lazy society. I just fear that we're going to take every advantage of it to not be, uh, to not grow. You know, to, well, not, the, uh, you know, even to, even if you think about problem solving, if you don't understand the depth of how a problem was created, you can't solve it. And if all you're getting is the cliff notes version, well, here's the error code that went off. Okay. But what, what triggered it? And you don't know those things and you take that approach to everything. 
I don't see how we grow. Well, you're right. And uh, I think many people, perhaps most people, are suffering from lazy brain right now because so much gets done for us. And if we want to give uh, technology with AI the ability to run us, uh, that's a good place to start. Uh, If you're not capable of thinking creatively and thinking uh, about how I might solve a problem, whether it be a math problem or a sociological problem, uh, you got to be able to do some of that yourself if we're going to effectively deal with these machines who can gather so much more data than we can, can process it quickly. Uh, They may seem kind of dumb now, but that's not going to be the case forever because they learn from their experiences, unlike some of us, I think. Mm -hmm. And they also uh, learn from other machines. They learn from the data they're accumulating. And uh, they are able to move and process that data so much more quickly than we are. So it's going to take some doing for us to keep up. Yeah. You know, one thing, uh, I, I haven't mentioned the name of your book yet. It's The New Roaring Twenties, Prosper in Volatile Times, co-written with uh, Paul Zane Pilzer, who unfortunately couldn't be here today. I wish him well. I hope that he's uh, feeling better soon. But I really appreciate you uh, getting on with this project and helping finish it and getting the book out there, because I think this is a very important piece of literature. You have a uh, a background in as a movie producer, and you've produced quite a number of titles. So you're obviously very interested in what's going on in Hollywood. I recently saw an article that said Bruce Willis has given his consent now that he's, you know, because of his voice issues, he's unable to act. Um, But he's given his consent for his likeness to be used going forward. I don't know about you. I don't want to see a a movie with digital people. I'd rather never see another Bruce Willis movie, a new one, than know that's not really him. Well, the recent ones haven't been all that good, particularly, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's going to be paid for that. Mm-hmm. And his family and his heirs will ultimately benefit from that. Um, you know, I think it's uh, a commercial decision, basically. It's not an artistic decision. Right. And some people will respond to that. and Some people won't. Um, and, you know, uh, stars, people who are recognizable will actually benefit very significantly from that if they wish to participate. Uh, They'll be paid a lot of money for their digital imaging, and they'll be be able to prevent much of it from being abused, although not all of it, because, you know, there is a very strong deep fake universe out there where images are being created illegally. Right. And, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of litigation surrounding that. And then you have, you know, the people who are not stars, who are workaday actors and actresses who, you know, whose images may be utilized and duplicated. And, you know, if you're not a star, the way these standard contracts are written, uh, you know, you basically cede all of your rights to the studio I know that because I own a studio and, you know, your standard form gives broad latitude in terms of how you use uh, the images. A lot of these contracts traditionally have not dealt with digital imaging or AI created imaging. Uh, And I'm sure, and 
I know you'll see it in our contracts, which I end up writing a lot of them. Uh, we'll have to address that issue. And, you know, I think it's probably appropriate to allow the studio to use the image uh, very versatilely in the project that's being worked on, that the actor is being paid for. And that's part of the, uh, the bargain, the business arrangement. But to then use that image in other programs, other films, that strikes me as not appropriate and something that really needs to be a separate negotiation, even if it's not a star involved, just if it's, you know, an actor. Right. So, and, and my understanding is that they're doing that in a lot of the background actor contracts that if you're if you're a background actor, even for one day on the set, they have the right to use your image in perpetuity on anything and never hire you again. And there's a couple of problems with that. I mean, for one, you could be put in things that you maybe morally or, you know, politically or whatever would not want to be a part of and would not have done. There's the fact that um, you're not being paid to get on any other project and you're not going to get hired for anything else because they don't need to pay you. And then third, that's how a lot of actors get started. That's how they network and meet people and, you know, get noticed and they do a few background gigs. The next thing you know, they're on a film and they get a line of dialogue and it just kind of builds from there. It seems like it's a career killer. Well, um, I think that usage in other projects is it's my opinion that's just wrong mm -hmm. and uh, the screen actors guild um, i know is focused on that issue generally but they need to get very specific in the standard contracts dealing with this to the effect that okay it's all right to have a standard deal where in the context of a specific project you can use the image ai or otherwise but anything else is verboten. It's out of bounds and shouldn't be permitted. And I, should, I think that's one of the points. And I think, I think most studios will agree with that. I think that's where consensus can be reached. But the Guild's going to need to be uh, very uh, uh, careful and very uh, sophisticated in how they define this. Um, and then you, you, you have so many actors who are not Guild. Uh, or who work financial core and right. you know, aren't necessarily governed in all cases by guild contract language, what do you do about those? Well, I kind of think our position will be, again, the, the, the position I've just stated. Uh, you can use it for the project, but beyond that, it doesn't seem quite right. Aren't we really talking about potential federal likeness rights laws, like we have federal copyright laws? Well, there's a right of publicity, certainly, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, someone who is uh, a, a public person has the right to protect that image and be compensated for that image uh, with certain exceptions for what is news or you know, what can be put out there in a traditional news format. Um, you also have a right of privacy, which is kind of a different sort of thing, which is the right not to be exploited and not, not to be exposed uh, uh, unnecessarily or inappropriately. This is not quite either of those things. Uh, this really has to do with uh, the ability to use an image, uh, you know, in a legitimate uh, program 
Um, and I think this is going to, as is implicit in your question, this is going to result in a lot of litigation. Yeah. And I think the courts are ultimately going to decide whether the rights of publicity or the rights of privacy uh, prevail. But a starting point is for the guilds to establish uh, their language and their position on all this. But again, I, I really want them to be very nuanced and sophisticated in this regard and really think about what the future might hold. And that will require them, I think, to consult with uh, experts who have an understanding of where artificial intelligence might be going and to confer with technologists and others who can look around the corner and kind of anticipate what the issues might be in the future because they're not all that obvious. Right. Well, I, I think back to a, a couple issues that I'll I'll present you with. And um and then I, I definitely want to we admit we had started talking about Spotify before we started recording and I, I want to get back to that. Um, but I, I was composing a, a film and they there were a lot of issues with the director and it kind of split into two camps. They ended up rewriting parts of the film after the whole film was shot. And there's a, a particularly prominent actress that was in the film. And I'm thinking you're changing the story dramatically. She's already shot her parts. You're working around what she shot. What if she wouldn't have consented to being in this new film? maybe the storyline would be something that goes against her principles. And I thought that's kind of a potential issue. But then a couple of weeks ago, I saw a video of Michael Jackson's thriller replaced by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'll tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't a hundred percent convincing. I mean, there were definitely some graphical issues and, you know, some voice flaws, but if I didn't know better, that would have been pretty convincing. And I started to think, that's scary because like you said, there's deep fakes out there. People have the technology to do whatever they want now. And then I saw the one that really hit me. And it was an argument between Donald Trump and Joe Biden with very explicit language, obviously something that never happened. But when you're watching this thing, if you didn't know better, you wouldn't know better. And I think that's where my biggest fear comes in is the reputations of people, um, everybody's so ready to jump on anybody that does the slightest thing wrong, especially if you're a celebrity, you know, you cuss in public one time and, and, you know, there's all these news articles and people posting on TikTok about it. Sure. This is the scariest part of it to me. What do you think? Well, I think it is scary and um, it's going to be very difficult to regulate. Um, you know, the, the, the large social media platforms uh, have the ability to display all kinds of content and are not really responsible for the nature of that content. And um, this was sort of uh, an inflection point in the growth of social media and also the growth of misinformation and of uh, really very questionable uh, content that is similar to what you're describing. Now, going forward with the ability to digitally change things. This has kind of been with us for a while and we've seen examples of it, but it's just going to get more pervasive and more convincing. Again, I think this is going to be an area that's going to be litigated and some principles will begin to establish themselves, but it may already be too late. Um, yeah. You know, it's very hard to police this sort of thing. Um, 
you know, there's a real question as to whether the law which made it permissible for social media not to be responsible mm-hmm. for, you know, what it presented uh, and to kind of ignore the worst aspects of human behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, that we may have crossed the Rubicon and now we're dealing with the next phases of this, which is going to be even worse uh, than what we have. So I don't know that I have a good solution for it at this point, uh, but it's something we need to be, as you suggest, we need to be very fearful of and concerned about. And, you know, where we can, we need to do something about it. Well, I think that maybe we can even use the technology to save us from the technology, right? We have uh, YouTube will uh, flag a video for copyright violation before it's even done uploading because it scans the file as it's uploading to detect any violations. Yes. Um, I had an interview I did with a friend of mine who did a, a I think we put a five second clip of a cover song of uh, that he did from Billy Idol and I got flagged before that video was even done uploading. Maybe we can use that same technology to flag videos then that people need to review and start making those sites a little bit more responsible for what kind of content goes out. That could be something that creates jobs. Well, I think you're spot on uh, and you've said it very well. Um, AI is going to solve a lot of problems as well as creating a lot of problems. And there you know, are so many areas that AI is going to improve our ability to do the things we do now. And uh, managing content may well be an area. And, you know, copyright's going to become more and more important as uh, AI and other technology are able to abuse it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you're, you're, you know, YouTube and, their cop- and, the, uh, and some of the other platforms, their surveillance of copyright is an excellent example. It, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where that goes. I, I have to think that uh, we're going to head into lawsuitville for every little thing that that goes on, and we're going to have to be prepared for that. Uh, but you, you and I were talking before we started recording about Spotify, and you were you were starting to tell me how you feel Spotify has devalued music. Uh, I know what you mean by that, but let's let's share with the audience. Well, um, there's something that's called Spotify syndrome. And Spotify, by the way, it has um, commercialized music and, you know, recreated the revenue stream, has made it very difficult for artists and creators to make much money unless you're, uh, you know, a tremendously big act. It's very hard for, you know, that to be a reliable revenue stream that, you know, enables you to live a decent life. And most artists, you know, are not making money off Spotify. Um, you know, anytime you have a subscription service like Netflix or others that give you virtually an unlimited amount of content for a fixed price, um, you now have devalued content. You know, it's no longer a situation where you have to go to the theater and buy a ticket or you have to buy a DVD um, and, you know, create a revenue stream which supports the investment. And content has become increasingly expensive, but increasingly devalued. I mean, 
if you can get on a streaming service and you know have a thousand movies to look at or more, of course, um, you know that's different than buying them one at a time, and it devalues content. We certainly have seen that in music, mm-hmm. and now it's happened for you know film and video as well. Right, uh, and this uh, this is part of what's caused the uh, the strike. Uh, you know, people are not being paid. <clears throat> the, you know, the streaming companies uh, have a system where they do not wish to uh, illuminate us as to, you know, their algorithms or you know, the revenue that a particular piece of content may be generating. Part of that is because they don't know in certain cases, because it is a subscription service that the revenue is not necessarily attached to a specific piece of content. Right. But there are ways of, of, of evaluating this. You know, we have a streaming service called Here TV. My business partner, Paul Collishman, and I, uh, another Paul, and he, uh, you know, is he and his team are very sophisticated in, in measuring, you know, what it costs to attract a subscriber and the piece of content that actually attracts that specific subscriber. And they're able to value that so that, you know, the larger uh, streaming companies, because we're a small one, the larger streaming companies can do a version of this, but uh, for the most part, they're resisting it at this point, at least, you know, to the extent that the uh, guilds would like to see it, uh, part of the mechanism to uh, value content and value the work of creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because Netflix may well have the most incentive to settle this strike uh, and to come up with a formula because they don't, they have one line of business and all their revenue comes from that business. Right. And they don't need to be concerned about theatrical or any of the other business lines that most of the studios do. And Netflix has kind of won this battle, the the streaming battle. They won it years ago. Uh, They were first uh, in the last several years, they've started to make, actually make money doing it. You know, they spent a long period of time, 20 years or so um, losing money uh, with uh, their service, but they had the backing of investors and venture capital and banks. So they were able to prevail and it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible for any of the major streaming services to catch up with them and close the gap. Disney probably has a shot. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, confident that Max will prevail. They seem to have made a series of missteps. Uh, they may be able to course correct, but I think Netflix is the winner. And um, the other guys are struggling to you know, close the gap, become profitable. They managed to ruin a perfectly good cable TV and DVD business by pursuing streaming and putting all their chips on Red Netflix Red, and um, basically blew up a perfectly good business that was 
able to pay residuals and and was profitable and chased this uh, streaming chimera. Uh, and I'm not sure it's worked out well for anyone other than Netflix. Well, I hate that we're running out of time, but I'd like to ask you one more question if I could. Uh, Mark Ruffalo made a comment uh, at one of the uh, rallies and he was talking about start doing independent films. And I started to think, is this time to tell the studios we don't need you, that we don't need another 18 Avengers films, we don't need $50 million films all the time, we just want to be entertained with good stuff. And I mean, the point of the studios is really that they can fund the bigger movies and support the actors while they're making it. But if we went independent, I think they would get there eventually. It just depends on how long and how many people could survive it. Is this the time to tell the studios that we don't need them? Well, um, the answer- I don't mean to offend you because I know you own a studio, but you know what I mean. No, like- but we're we're independent. Uh, you know, that's we we're far away uh, different from a major studio. I mean, we make films for their catering budgets. Uh, you know, our films are you know very carefully managed and uh, very carefully. Uh, fitted to the revenue side of things. So uh, the answer to your question is not an easy one. Uh, first of all, the studios have managed, in my humble opinion, to botch their business and have made a series of mistakes over the years that they may or may not recover from. So there is, much like AI, more than a zero chance that the studios will not necessarily disappear, but be a shell of their former selves. And that, and they will have ended a hundred year plus old business. So first of all, a lot of mistakes on the studio side. Sure. Secondly, um, yes, independent film, uh, I think is going to, uh, independent film production is going to increase. However, we don't see people going to the theaters to see independent films necessarily. They just aren't making money in the theaters and it's expensive to release films, even independent films. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to make money doing it. That model is kind of broken because if you want to see independent films, you can see them on the streaming services. Right. Yeah. I was going to say everything would be straight to streaming probably. I think so. And um, we're kind of seeing that already. That's kind of already happened. I mean, there are, you know, big projects that are paid for by the streamers. But a lot of the films are, um, a lot of them are foreign uh, films. And there is a distinct possibility that what we will have, what the studios will have done is inadvertently, like in many other manufacturing businesses, moved it offshore. So that a very goodly part of the films that we see in this country may not come out of Hollywood necessarily, may come from other places. You know, we're already seeing, you know, the success of Korea and a lot of other uh, Asian and European uh, countries in particular. And they have, for the most part, subsidy programs and co-production arrangements. And they're able to make movies, for the most part, more effectively than the, the current U.S. studio system can do it, which is you know, gotten bloated and, you know, the kind of salaries that are made, uh, not only by the top executives at the studio level, but all the way down, uh, you know, they're not, they're not supportable by the revenue model. 
So it's possible that we are now outsourcing a lot of our production offshore, which has happened in a lot of other areas. And we may try to bring it back. Um, one interesting thing that I've observed is, you know, I've always loved foreign language films. And one of our films, you know, uh, Departures won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. A Japanese film. And I, I really have always enjoyed those movies. I've enjoyed going to the theaters um, where I normally sit by myself or with a small group of people watching these films. Not always, mm. but um, I've been amazed at how much foreign language product is on particularly Netflix, but the yeah. other streamers as well, and how people have become, with respect to streaming, very comfortable with, with subtitles and closed caption, captioning. Uh, I, did, I wouldn't have expected that to happen mm -hmm. the way it has. Uh, some people still don't like it and don't want to watch it, but a lot of people have gotten very comfortable with it. Uh, and there are many people who will watch even English language programming with the closed captions mm -hmm on just so they make sure they hear the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of uh, overdubbing too, where uh, we get a lot, I've seen a lot of foreign films on Netflix where they'll overdub the audio track with uh, American actors. It's true. And, um, you know, languaging is going to be a tremendous area for AI. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the ability to uh, uh, redub a film is going to be far less expensive and far more effective than it has been. It's been quite expensive to do that historically. Mm -hmm. That's going to be fairly easy to do. And it's going to be done in voices that are very similar to the actors that you uh, are used to, used to speaking. And right. that's, that's going to be a whole business, I think. Uh, and languaging in general, you know, if there are, diplomatic negotiations, AI has the ability to translate in real time. Mm -hmm. um, now, that poses all sorts of geopolitical questions as to hacking of translation services, mm -hmm. but it is the future. It is what's going to happen. It just right. will pose all kinds of interesting problems. Well, it seems like with every, with every new thing comes a whole new set of problems and uh, navigating it is going to be very important. So people should really check out your book, uh, The New Roaring Twenties, Prosper in Volatile Times. I've got the links for it in the show notes. What can we expect in this book? Well, we identify uh, 12 pillars, uh, things that will be prevalent. And the biggest part of the book is technology and artificial intelligence, the uh, continued use of robots, uh, the continued advance of AI and how it's going to affect employment and all of our lives. Uh, we also deal with the, the risks of technology, the fact that this yeah, is probably not going to be the end of us, but it could be the end of us. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to, as we discussed earlier, lose their jobs or have to transition to something else. Uh, we strongly believe that <clears throat> it's time for a universal basic income mm -hmm. where everyone in this country receives a stipend, not a large one, maybe a couple thousand dollars a month. But that'll make a huge difference for people transitioning and just people in general, because they won't be down to their last dollar from their paycheck month after month. They'll have a little bit of flexibility in the event of a crisis 
or an event of losing a job. And it's time to do that and replace a lot of the very antiquated and ineffective social welfare systems that we have. So we spend quite a bit of time on that. We also spend time on the nature of happiness. And, you know, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, all of us uh, perhaps looking to being more human in order to deal with this coming world that's upon us and being of service to others. And frankly, if you will do that, you're the winner. You'll be much happier. You'll have a better life because you're really helping others and feeling good about it. And you should expect nothing in return. You do it because it's the right thing to do and because you're trying to be human in an AI world. Yeah, so important. And, And like you said earlier, folks, Reach out to people you care about. You know what? Life, we get busy. It goes fast. I, I Every day I wake up and I'm like, what happened to yesterday? It just times, like the heartbeat of the world has sped up. Reach out to people you care about. Don't be like, well, you know, it's a two-way street. Just reach out to people. It, you'll be amazed at the experiences that you'll have. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Jarku, I know, or Jarko, I know I mispronounced your name earlier. I'm so sorry. I said exactly that I wasn't going to do that. And then I always do that. Uh, but please also pass along my thanks to to Paul uh, for writing this book. Folks, check it out. As always, the links are in the show notes. Uh, Stephen, if you would hold on for me for one more minute. Folks, uh, I want to let you know, remind you that this is going to be the last episode before the break while I transition the podcast to another distributor. That will take me uh, a week or so to get everything relinked. I mean, we're on episode 351, so that's a lot of relinking, a lot of re-uploading show notes, as I learned with the Uri Heat podcast. Uh, but uh, the shows that are on YouTube, such as this one, will still be there. Those aren't going anywhere. It's just the audio feed only. And then uh, in a week or so, I'll have everything relinked on the website and all the socials, of course. And guys, AI is a scary thing, but it's up to you how you work with it. You can choose to let it do all the work for you, or you can choose to continue to be active and use a part of your brain and um, and, and grow your own intelligence, because I think that's the one thing that we need the most. Any uh, final thoughts, Stephen? Well, um, I think we've uh, hit on, you know, what we intended to hit on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the purpose of conversations like this is uh, in an accessible way to permit people to begin to think about this and to be concerned about it, but also recognize it's going to create opportunity. And it's up to you how you respond to all this. And, um, it's going to be a fast-moving, wonderful world, but a world replete with danger. Well said. Well said. And a great note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll You're see welcome. what happens from here. And good luck to all of our friends in, in Hollywood and New York and everyone who's uh, standing up in the strike. Uh, you're doing it for a reason. And my heart is with you. Cheers. Cheers.